We have a titled message for you today called My Two Sons. If you're over 40, I just want to let you know it's not the 60s sitcom, My Two Sons. If you've heard of that one, My Three Sons. I thought there was a My Two Sons. I better rewrite this message. Thank you, front row. That joke went better last night when it made sense to me. All right, so we will be reading out of Matthew today. My Two Sons is the parable that we're going to use. Is that better, Michael? All right, good. Um, A lot of people think that it's the prodigal son that we're going to speak on, right, my two sons? But this is a similar and different parable that's in the book of Matthew. It's a much shorter, much more direct parable, and it is a little similar, and we're going to break down what that looks like. But first, I want to open with a little story. So there was this scientist. I love science, by the way. Big Bang Theory is one of my favorite sitcoms. I got booze with that last night, so that's good. No booze today. Big Bang Theory. So there's a scientist. He wanted to disprove the existence of God. He was mad at God. He couldn't do it. He spent almost his whole life trying to disprove the existence of God. So finally he realized, well, if I can't disprove his existence, I'm going to prove that we don't need him anyways. So the scientist decided that he was going to create life. That's what God is best known for, creating all things, creating life itself. So this scientist went about building this huge machine, right? And uh, through that machine, he figured he could create life. He didn't have to put any seeds in it. He didn't have to put any cells in it. He just sprinkled a little dirt, and then this big, beautiful plant sprouted up, and he was happy with himself. He created life. So he looked up to God. He shook his fist, and he said, there you go, God. We don't need you anymore. I can create life. We can do it without you. Well, God looked down upon that scientist at first with a little bit of pity in his eyes, and and then he took a deep breath, God did, and he blew on that big plant, and that plant withered and died. And the scientist said, why? Why, God? Why did you destroy my creation? You know what God said? God said, next time, use your own dirt. God created all things. All things were created through Jesus Christ. There wasn't a thing that was created that wasn't created through him. Amen. So, It's God's creation, and because it's God's creation, he has the authority to set the rules for his creation. Just like the football games that you're all going to watch later on today, right? Um, Those players are subject to the rules that are before them. They have to obey those rules in order to play the game. Just as Americans, we are subject to the rules that our forefathers laid before us, the rules, the laws, whatever that is. And Christianity is no different. God's creation is no different. There is a set of rules in coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. God says to repent for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's what I want to look at tonight. You know, um, a big church like this, an awesome church like this, we hear a lot about the love of God, but there's also the justice of God, right? What do you do with that? I think um, my father actually, he said to me the other day, hope he's not watching. And let's say hello, by the way. I forgot about all these people watching online. Let's say hello to them. Do you know over 3,000 people watch every single weekend online through this ministry? That's an awesome thing. Uh, But my father says, you know, I don't believe that God created hell. And that kind of disturbed me because, you know, 
that's what we're saved from. If you believe in Jesus Christ, we're saved from our sins, but we're also saved from that eternal destiny in hell to go into heaven. And I said to my dad, well, what do you do with all the injustice of the world? What do you do with the, you know, to throw Hitler at the wall, but all the rapists, all the murderers, all the bad things, there has to be an account for that. If there isn't an account for that, then I don't, I don't know what we're doing. We're just living in a crazy world, but God has to do something with that. And, you know, so he did. There is a heaven and there is a hell, but we know that Jesus Christ, he grabbed the keys from hell and, uh, you know, he saves us from that if we'll just believe in him. But if you know anything about me, you know my testimony, and my testimony is that I came out of different religions. See, all religions have rules. All religions have rules. And every other religion in the world except Christianity says you have to do in order to get right? I used to study Buddhism, and I would spend hours every single day meditating. I used to study some Hinduism as well, and all the other isms, and philosophy, and things like that, looking for the truth, until God opened my eyes that there is only one truth, and that's through Jesus Christ. But all other religions say you have to do to get. Christianity says it's been done for you. You do because it's been done for you. You don't do to get, you do because it's been done for you. All right, I got that out. Now, if you would, open your Bibles. We're going to read from Matthew 21, 28 through 32. The parable of the two sons, not the three sons. All right, Jesus says, and I just want to set this up really quick. Um, Jesus is talking, as he often did, to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious people that were doing to get. They were doing all these man-made laws in order to try to please God. And they put all these laws upon the people, the Jewish people. Now, unfortunately, they knew that that didn't work. Why did they know that the laws, obeying the laws, trying to follow the laws didn't work? Because every single year, they had to have blood sacrifices with goats and lambs and sheep and all that. And what those sacrifices did, they covered up the sin of those people for that year. The problem is they had to do that every single year because it didn't last, right? Only the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ eternally takes away our sins forever. But these Pharisees would openly obey the laws, but inwardly they had no heart change. So Jesus is talking to these people. Also a little setup, if you've ever heard, uh, there's a man that came before Jesus called John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he kind of set up the foundation for Jesus' ministry. He's the first that told people to repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins is a heart change, not an outward action yet, right? So uh, John actually, he was kind of the, the alley-oop for Jesus' slam dunk, if you get that metaphor. All right, so we're set up. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Would you stand with me? We're going to read from the Word of God. Jesus says to the Pharisees, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind. Someone say, changed his mind. And he went. And he went to the other son, and he said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two, Jesus asked, did the will of the Father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. 
That's the word of God. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God, for bringing in your people here today to hopefully hear from you. I ask that you soften everybody's heart today, including mine, Lord, to your word, that you speak to us, Lord, and that you help me get out of the way. I ask that my words be helpful to the people that are here and, most of all, pleasing in your sight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. you may be seated. Sorry, I need a little bit of water. I think everybody's fighting the cold right now. Thank God for Theraflu. Okay. So, a little bit of a history lesson with the Jewish people, right? They were nomadic people, if you haven't heard. 40 days in the desert, anybody? 40 years in the, in the desert wandering. So they would wander from one watering hole to another watering hole. They would go from one green pasture to another green pasture. And through this, we can see what the definition is for sin and repentance. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, when I, when I hear somebody talk about sin and repentance, I usually think about this old man with a sign on him standing in New York Times Square saying, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. That's not me. I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to kind of break it down so we can understand it logically, right? So if you want to take notes, please open up your bulletins and we're going to fill in the blanks here as we go along. And if you're not taking notes, shame on you. All right. So the Jewish people were nomadic people. Like I said, they would go from one watering hole to another. And oftentimes along the way, they would get lost. They'd get lost along the way. Sometimes they did this deliberately to go off the path in order to try to forge their own path. And maybe they thought that they would find a better way, a quicker way, you know, a more direct way. But it was going off the path. This is the definition of sin. Sin means to miss the mark. Sin means to stray from the path. That's your first fill in the blank, even though it's the second in your notes. Stay with me. So sin is to miss the mark or to deliberately take the wrong path, right? So what is repentance? It's kind of cool. So repentance was when they were going along the wrong path, they would find the correct path. They would have a course correction. They would change direction. Sometimes they'd have a change of mind. Something would click in them, and they would walk then on the right path. The best and most modern translation is to turn from evil and to turn towards good. But if you get what I'm saying is we're walking on the wrong path, we're sinning. We have a change direction, we've repented. The reason I say this is because I talk to a lot of people, and we have a lot of new believers here at Waters Church, which is awesome. We've been celebrating those numbers here, those yearly numbers um, through the videos, right? We, we keep saying we've had over a thousand, I don't care if you call them uh, salvations or you call them decisions or promises to follow Christ, over a thousand of them happened here in New England through Waters Church. And that's an amazing statistic, but that means there's a lot of new believers that may not understand the foundations of their new religion, Christianity, repentance from sin. What does that look like? And I hear from a lot of people that tell me, you know, I, I fall and I, I keep falling like, like a baby falls down when it's trying to walk. A baby Christian will often fall too. And that's okay because we're all trying to walk. We're all trying to get better. But I remember having this conversation with this uh, one person that told me, you know, I fall, I get on my knees, I cry out to the Lord, I ask for forgiveness, I say that I'm sorry, I get back up, and I, sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's a week, but I go right back to that same sin. I just want to let you know, that's not repentance. That's apologizing. There's a difference. There's a difference. 
if you're a Paul, now you should have a sorrowful heart. You should be crying out to the Lord. You should be saying you're sorry. But when you get back up, you have to have a changed mind. You have to have a changed direction. You have to purposefully walk towards good and walk away from evil. And if you're doing that, then you've repented. If you're not doing that, you're simply apologizing. Now, maybe you're working towards that, and maybe you'll get there. But I just want to let you know you're, you're not there yet. Okay, and that's why we have small groups and people to help us understand that and walk with that. All right, keep going. So that brings me to the theme today. The theme today is my promise is your next fill in the blank. My promise comes. No, my performance comes from my promise. Sorry, I had too much NyQuil last night. I haven't woken up yet. My performance comes from my promise. What's your promise real? thousand salvations. Was your promise real? Were you like the first son or the second son? Because the second son, his promise was not real. He said, I'll go work out in the field, but he did not go. The first one said he wasn't going to go, but later he changed his mind. If you're a King James person in your Bible, then you know change mind means repentance, because that's the word that it uses in that story right there. I've had a changed mind. I've repented. So was your promise real? If so, your performance is going to be real. So let's look at what repentance really is, because true repentance, true repentance, a true promise leads to true repentance. That's what I'm trying to say here. So your first fill in the blank for the repentance, one, two, and three, is repentance changes your mind. It changes your mind. The first son had a changed mind, right? Something clicked in him. He was going to go do what he wanted to do. He walked one way, but then something clicked, and he said, no, I need to go work in the field as my father asked. So he had a changed mind. If you've truly repented, you've had a changed mind. Uh, Philippians 4.8 says it like this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about the good, positive things that you can do in this world. Look, God's recreated you for a reason. He has things that he wants you to accomplish. We'll get more to that in a minute. But repentance changes your mind. And if you've had a changed mind, what comes next? Repentance changes your actions. It changes your actions. No, number two is desires. Wow, NyQuil. Sorry, guys. All right, repentance changes your mind, then it changes your desires. Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 18.3 like this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. What do we think about when we think about little children? Don't say snotty, bratty, dirty. Innocent. Thank you, front row. Innocent. Innocent like a child. You have to have that innocent mind like a child does. That's what repentance will bring. Repentance changes your mind, which in act changes your desires. And then finally, I slipped up and told you before, it changes your actions. It changes your actions. I love how James says it. He says it like this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and farewell, have a good day, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith without action isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. 
Now, some may say, some have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have any good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. Just as the body is dead without spirit, so also faith is dead without good deeds. That's from, that's from James, the brother of Jesus, by blood and spirit. Those are words to live by. Action. Now. Jesus also illustrated this in a lot of his parables. Uh, he had a lot of parables where he was talking to the Pharisees to illustrate this. And one that stands out the most to me is the parable of the fig tree. You know, Jesus, both in Matthew and Mark, came upon a fig tree and it had these big, beautiful, shiny leaves on them. But Jesus was hungry. So he went to the fruit, uh, fig tree to try to pick some fruit, but there was no fruit on that fig tree. Uh, so Jesus cursed that fig tree and said, you're not going to produce any fruit for anybody anymore. That's a parable to show us as Christians. Look, I was up here a few months ago talking about the active and passive wrath of God. Passive wrath of God is upon all Christians that don't necessarily fulfill what God has for them. He can take you out of this world in an instant if you aren't doing his will. And that's what Jesus demonstrates to the fig tree. The fig tree had all these shiny, beautiful leaves on it. Where else do we see shiny, beautiful fig leaves in the Bible? I feel like I want you to raise your hand and we're in a classroom. You can shout it out. It's in uh, the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, they cover themselves with fig leaves, right? What are they doing? They're covering their shame with fig leaves. The fig tree had all these leaves, these beautiful leaves, and it's showing, you know, it's covering its shame with its leaves. That's what the Pharisees did with their laws, right? They obeyed all these laws to try to show everybody how good and righteous they were, but they didn't have any fruit. Okay, thought I'd get an amen after that one. You're too late. <laughs> Ephesians 2.10 says it like this, For we are his workmanship. We were recreated in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared good works for you, for you individually. You have good works that you can accomplish for God, but are you doing them? First, you need to change mind. You need your desires changed, and then your actions are going to change because of that, which is a beautiful thing. You know, I keep talking about all these amazing numbers, or we keep talking about these amazing numbers, these thousand salvations, which is unheard of here in New England, which, again, is awesome. But there's another number that we've been kind of celebrating that's been sitting um, in my belly not so well, and it kind of led to this message. And it's a great number. It's an awesome number. It's something to be celebrated. We baptize people here every single month, right? We see six to nine baptisms every single month. That is amazing in New England where the soil is cold and hard. We've had almost 100 baptisms this year in 2018, which is more than we've ever seen in the 15 years in this church. You can, you can celebrate that. You can clap that. That's awesome. But let's, even my rudimentary, even my elementary math tells me that's 10%. A thousand salvations, a hundred baptisms, that's 10 Where are there other 900 people? Am I talking to anybody out there? Where's the fruit? So all I'm trying to say is there's going to be an action with you 
if you've really received Christ, if you're that first son and you have a changed mind, changed desires, you're going to do something with that. So maybe I'm talking to some of you today. Maybe I'm talking to some people that need to step up and do something with that. Actually, this time of year, it's kind of funny, right? We have a lot of you probably have kids home from school, from college, and maybe they just had their midterms. Or, or maybe at your work, you have a performance review. I know I do. I don't know how it's going to go after, after this weekend. But we all have performance reviews. Well, I have a little or, or quiz, right? Everybody likes taking a quiz. When I was in high school, I remember I had a girlfriend that made me take, like, every Cosmo quiz that there was. I don't know why. I don't know what that accomplished. I never got them right. Or I know online there's quizzes everywhere, and a lot of people, you want know, to go on the, the line to find out if, you know, what Game of, Game of Thrones character are you? And I'm always Jon Snow. I make sure of that. But I want to do a, a performance review for you today. So if you're taking notes, flip over your notes. We're going to take a test together. If you're not taking notes, do this anyways. It's for your benefit. I'm not going to collect it unless you put your name on it and leave it on your seat, and then I'll email you later. But no, this is for your own health, your own walk, to see how you're doing. So performance review, 2018. And for the first question right here, uh, it doesn't have to be 2018, right? Maybe some of you have been coming here 5, 10, 15 years. doesn't matter. First question, let's go through these together. Don't read ahead. We're going to go through this together. I made a decision. I made a declaration that Christ is Lord and Savior. Now, yes or no? If you said no, you can stop right there. Stop right there. You don't have to continue, but I'll be back to you in a minute. If you said yes, let's move right along. I made a declaration that Christ is my Lord and Savior. How about number two? I attended church at least twice a month. Now, I bet a lot of you can say yes because you're here the, the week after Christmas. You know, a lot of people probably took this one off. They were here for Christmas. But twice a month, that's not asking that much. A lot of people are going to go home and watch three hours of football. Can you give God an hour a week? How's your performance review going so far? All right, number three, I've been baptized as Jesus commands. I've been baptized as Jesus commands commands. It's not really an option because Jesus tells you to do it. He commands it. If you've received him, look, all through Acts, all throughout the Bible, whenever somebody receives the word of God, they say they believe in Jesus, almost immediately they get baptized. And it blows my mind sometimes when we have these baptisms and I see people that have been coming to the church five or ten years and they're first, finally getting baptized. I'm like, what took you so long? And I understand we put you up on the screen and sometimes that's intimidating. You don't have to shoot the video. You don't have to do that. We do that because we have a saying here that, you know, your story is for God's glory, and he's going to use it to speak to somebody, and he does every single month. We see that being used here. But if you just want to simply get baptized, you can do that. You don't have to shoot the video. Actually, the class, the baptism class is right after this. It's at 1130. So maybe I'm talking to one of you here today. Uh, unfortunately, I can't teach that class today. I'm a little busy next service, but... It's an awesome thing. You don't even have to get baptized. Just go and get all your questions answered about what baptism really is. We'll do that for you. We'll have a discussion. All right, number four. Let's move right along. I've taken Growth Track at Waters Church. 
Now, why is that an important thing? That doesn't seem like a fruit. In that Grow Track class, you'll learn how you can get more involved with what we're doing here, with what God's doing here at Waters Church, and you can produce fruit. Now, maybe you say, I've been coming to Waters Church for five years, and I'm already involved. Well, things change here, if you haven't noticed. Not the Word of God, but the way we do things changes here all the time. We're always, you know, developing and growing and things like that. So if you haven't taken Grow Track, if you're a small group leader even, maybe you should to find out, you know, I remember uh, we have our starting point class, too, which we were talking about earlier. Starting points for new believers or for non-believers to comfortably ask questions and learn about, you know, the faith. Grow track is to learn about the church. So if you have any of those two things, you know, that you want to learn about, those are awesome classes. I've seen people come into starting point and get convicted and have life change, and it's an amazing thing. I've seen people come into grow track that had questions and get more involved, and that's an amazing thing. So grow track, put that on your performance list. Next, I'm in a small group to be in community with other believers. Look, a lot of us are in families with non-believing family members or our workplace is filled with non-believers. Well, that's why we need to be in community. That's why we need to be in small group because we need to be together in the family of God. We need to support each other. We need to hug each other. We need to go through life struggles together and be there for each other. And that's what we do every week in small group. Okay. Next one, moving right along, I serve regularly on a serve team. Are you producing fruit? Now, maybe you're not doing it here, and that's okay too. I don't care. As long as you're producing fruit for the kingdom, at least you're doing what God's called you to do. But we have so many opportunities for you to serve here at Waters Church, from the parking team to the, to the kids' ministry to the amazing band, right? There are so many ways that you can serve here. God's going to use your talents if you're willing. So do you serve regularly, yes or no? And moving along, this one, this is tough for some people. I've invited at least one person to church this year, not the last five or ten years, this year. Have you invited anybody? Why do I say that? Because believing comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. How are people going to believe if they don't hear? We have awesome preaching here, besides this weekend, every single weekend here, you know, that is preaching the word of God. So come, invite people and see what God's going to do. Yesterday, I went to pick up all the muffins that we sell in the bakery. A little peek behind the curtain there. We don't, we don't make the muffins here. Just letting you know, it's a local bakery. So I've got these three big boxes in my hand, and I'm walking out the door, and this lady looks at me, and she's like, oh, I want to go where you're going. And she's implying she wants to eat all the food I have. But I'm like, ooh, opportunity. I'm going to Waters Church. I'm preaching this weekend. Would you like to come? Now, maybe she rolled her eyes at me and that was it, but that's okay. I tried. I planted a seed. Who knows? Maybe she's here right now. How are you doing? Have a muffin. <laughs> All right, what's next? So you've invited at least one person to church, yes or no. Next one, I've told someone my testimony. You need to be proud of the gospel. God's given you a testimony that only you have. And it says to be ready to have an answer for your faith, right? So you should be willing and able and happy to share your testimony. If you've been baptized here, then you've already done that because you show, we show your testimony in a video, like I said. But if you pray to God and ask him to open up a door, 
then you're going to have that door open. You're going to have conversations with people. I'm not saying you walk, you walk into the bank and you're like, Jesus, hello. Everybody. Don't be a crazy Christian. That's okay. Be wise as a serpent and innocent like a dove. Look for those right opportunities. But if you pray to God and ask for those right, right opportunities, he'll open up the door for you. So share your testimony. And then finally, number 10 on the test, someone has noticed life change in me since coming to Christ. Now, for some of you, that's a stab in the heart, right? Because maybe you think, well, I haven't changed, but I believe in Christ. I remember, and I didn't think I was going to share this, but I did last night. It just came out, so I think I'll do it again. But about a year after coming to Christ, is like six or seven years ago, I got into a huge argument with one of my sisters. And, and yes, Christians can argue too. And so my sister, very upset with me, not saved, she keyed my car. It's okay, it's just a car. And then she took a, pan, uh, a potted plant that was full of like muddy dirt and dumped it in my front seat of my car. So I was very unhappy with my sister at that time. And I proceeded to get into a verbal argument with my sister. This was, at, what, this was at my father's house. My father came running out and he's like, oh, so this whole Jesus thing is working great for you, isn't it, Chris? I was like, oh, people are watching you. If you claim to believe in Christ, then your non-believing friends and family are watching you. So you have to be aware of that. And that convicted me. I have to change some things about my behavior, the way I'm living and the way people are seeing me. And hopefully, you know, you do too. All right, so that's the progress report. How'd you do? Pass them up? No, I'm just kidding. You can take them home, have your spouse grade them later. What I want to say to you is this is the last service of 2018. 2019's next year, a lot of next week, a lot of people are going to be talking about their um, New Year's resolutions. How about instead of that, you turn some of these no's into yeses? That'd be a much better New Year's resolution. And if you ace this test, if you got all, all yeses on them, then maybe God's calling you to do something more. Maybe instead of going to a small group, you should be a small group leader. Or maybe God wants you to open up a ministry. Look, you don't have to come to the church and ask for permission to go serve God. Sometimes he'll just inspire you to do something. I, I remember, again, just a, a few years after getting saved, God put it on my heart to do something very silly. It was Valentine's Day about six, seven years ago, and I wrote out a bunch of Valentine's. And it said, but Jesus loves you, right? And so I put them in envelopes, and I went over to Target, and I just started to hand out those, those envelopes. And I had a lot of people that were like, get away from me, freak. But I handed some people those Valentines. So who knows? Look, I might see somebody in heaven one day that says, because of that, they came to Water Church, they got saved. I mean, how awesome would that be? Either that or I was just a creep outside of Target. I don't know. But God put it on my heart, and I did it, and you could too. All right. So, whew, I'm out of breath. <clears throat> I'm going to close with the story in just a minute, but I, I want to thank you guys because you've been great listeners here today. But there's one more thing I want to share from James, and James says this in James 1.22. Don't just listen to God's word, but you must also do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So think about that. Do what it says. Take some action. Have a changed mind. Let God change your desires and then have a change of action. This is a call to action today. All right. So one more story that I think kind of sums up and illustrates this well. I didn't invent this story. I think it's actually a true story. And it's, uh, it's a famous preacher story. But there was this little schoolhouse. 
in this very rough neighborhood. And it was a small, it's a dated story, and you'll see why in a second, but it's a small one-room schoolhouse where about 20 kids were there. 20 of the worst kids, uh, the toughest kids, and the most beaten-down kids that there ever was. And they couldn't keep a teacher. There were probably six teachers over three years. And they didn't know what to do. No teacher was able to get through to these kids. So one day, this teacher, who got right out of uh, school, went to the superintendent and said, I want to go to that schoolhouse. Now, the superintendent tried to talk her out of it, saying, they're going to eat you alive. You know, there, there hasn't been a teacher that's lasted more than six months there. But the teacher, she wanted to go where she knew she could make a difference. So she went to that schoolhouse. She walked in the first day and realized that she had a lot of work on her hands. Ten minutes went by, and as she was trying to teach, the students didn't hear a word that she said. They were throwing things. They were yelling. They were screaming. So finally... A big figure stood up in the back of the classroom, and he said, and this was Tommy. We'll call him Tommy. He was the bully of all bullies. He was the bully of all the bullies in the classroom, and he didn't address the teacher. He addressed the students, and he said, don't worry about her. I'll have her gone in a week. Well, the teacher got a little lump in her throat. She composed herself, and she said, look, guys, I want to help you. I'm here for a reason. But I don't think I can do this if we don't have some rules. And I want you to be part of it because I don't want to impose these rules on you. So I want you to be part of the system. So let's come up with some rules that will benefit all of us. So they spent the rest of the day coming up with these rules. One kid yelled out, no more stealing. I'm sick of going home hungry. Another kid yelled out, no more lying. I'm sick of being called names. Another kid yelled out, no more violence. I'm sick of going home with a black eye. And then finally, at the end of the day, they had their schoolroom Ten Commandments. And then the teacher said, well, in order to enact these rules, we're going to have to have some form of punishment so that there's justice and people will be able to follow these rules. Well, Tommy stands up again from the back of the classroom and he says, ten lashes to anybody that breaks one of these rules. I told you it was a dated story. It wasn't long before somebody broke one of those rules. The next day, in fact, Tommy stood up again and said, somebody stole my lunch and I want somebody to pay for it. So an investigation happened. And then finally, right before the end of the day, a little boy stood up in the classroom, walked towards the teacher and said, I was the one who stole the lunch. I was hungry and that's why I did it. This little boy had raggedy pants on and a big puffy jacket. And he said, I'll take my punishment. I just ask that you please don't make me take off my jacket. And the teacher said, why? What's under your jacket? And as the little boy took his jacket off, the whole classroom could see that he didn't have a shirt on. He just had suspenders holding up his pants. So the teacher said, where's your shirt? And he said, well, I only have one shirt. And on the days that my mother watches it, I have to wear my brother's big puffy coat so that I can come to school. So he went to the front of the room, he leaned over the desk and he got ready to take his 10 lashes. And right before the first lash came, Tommy stood up again from the back of the classroom and he said, wait a minute, he stole my lunch. I wanna take the punishment for the crime. We said somebody's gonna take the punishment. It's my lunch, I'll take the lashes. So Tommy walked up took off his shirt and prepared to receive the lashes from the teacher. 
But by the fifth lash, the little boy that stole the lunch came running up to Tommy, put his arms around him, and with tears in his eyes, he cried out, I'm sorry, I made an excuse. I know I shouldn't have stolen your lunch. I'm never going to do it again. I'm so sorry. And by the time he was done apologizing, the lashes were done. Now, I say that because that's a picture of the story that we looked at today. It's a picture of true repentance. He didn't just justify why he took the lunch. He realized that he never should have done it, and he had a changed mind. He had a changed heart, and he had a changed action because he said he'd never do it again. And furthermore, Tommy, the bully, is a great picture of what Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us. We all deserve those lashes. We all deserve the punishment for our sin. But God loved us so much that he sent Christ to take those lashes for us.